Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Vox Tablet. I'm Sarah Ivory, your host. Today, a lost Jew in Oslo. By day, Derek Miller is an international affairs specialist based in Oslo who works with the UN. He's married to a Norwegian woman, and they're raising their children there. By night and on weekends, Miller writes fiction. He's got a debut novel that just came out here in the United States and introduces us to Sheldon Horowitz. Sheldon is a cantankerous 82-year-old American, also based in Oslo, who finds himself on the run with a 7-year-old boy whose mother has been murdered by a Balkan war criminal. It is a suspenseful story, and it's a thought-provoking one, too. Miller explores grief, how guilt and loyalty are passed down from one generation to the next generation, and the distinctiveness of different national characters. The book is called Norwegian by Night, and we are delighted to have Derek Miller speaking with us today from a studio in Oslo. Derek Miller, welcome to Box Tablet. Thank you very much. Let's talk about Sheldon Horowitz, the complicated hero of your novel, As I mentioned, he's 82, he's a widower, he's a veteran of the Korean War who lost his only son, a boy named Saul, in the Vietnam War. He is the driving force behind this narrative, and I'd love to know, where did he come from? How did you come up with the idea of him? Sheldon Sheldon evolved. Um, He was a minor character in a manuscript that I wrote several years ago, and he and I weren't through with one another. That was pretty clear to me. And I I think Sheldon was my way of saying uh, goodbye to my grandparents' generation. And I, 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 wanted to, uh, I wanted to stay with those voices and those memories and those tensions. And, uh, and Sheldon was, uh, was a way of doing that. So for listeners who have not yet had the pleasure of meeting Sheldon Horowitz, how would you uh, describe him? I would describe him as impatient, impertinent, deeply moral and driven by a sense of humanity. I would consider him pained and in permanent grief over the loss of his beloved son. And someone who is coming to terms with a way of of being that is old where ha- he has to confront his own memories uh his own identity his own trying to come to terms with some of the decisions that he's made and the consequences that uh that they've had while he has time left to try and do so and so in one way Sheldon is a tragic character on the other hand you know, I mean, he's kind of hilarious. I mean, is you know, his he, the way that he deals with the tensions in his life um, is uh, through play, and and so in that sense, uh, I think Sheldon will be a very familiar kind of character. I think he's pe- he's people that we've met, and people uh, you know, and if we're lucky enough, we might even become so long as we don't have to suffer some of the circumstances that he did. Maybe you can tell us uh, how, what are Sheldon's circumstances in the book that land him in Oslo. Sheldon's wife has recently passed away. Uh, his son died in Vietnam. 
And so he's now alone because his granddaughter, whom he raised, has married a Norwegian man and has moved off to Oslo. So after his wife dies, his granddaughter comes back for the, uh, for the funeral. And she says, we want you to come with us. And he says, no. And she convinces him. So Shelzen's decision to go to Norway has really nothing to do with Norway. He, he wanted to be – he doesn't say that he doesn't want to be alone, but his granddaughter says that she doesn't want to be without him and she doesn't want him to die alone. And while he, he doesn't he, – he might find that a bit sentimental, uh, he might also have been um, – quite pleased for the invitation. So, so off he goes to this, this strange and exotic northern land. Now, you could have written a different kind of story, a, a slower-paced fish-out-of-water type of story. Why uh, did you decide to throw in a murder and create a kind of literary crime novel? I think I was driven mainly to try to write something to partly to compensate I wouldn't say for my failures as a writer. I would say it's for to, to, to address my need to grow as a writer. And there were some flaws in my earlier books and uh, my unpublished you know, manuscripts, which no one will ever see. Um, but I came to understand what some of them were. And one of the things that I decided I really wanted to do with this story was have a, uh, a real simplicity of purpose and clarity to what the basic structure of the story would be that gave me a basis from which to improvise as as a writer. Um, I, I, th I think of this akin to improvising around a, a familiar jazz song, you know, Stardust or, or something. And when you know the main melody and, and the band can stick to the melody, it allows for a structure from which to improvise. And so, in a way, the, the, the crime uh, of the book gives me that basic structure, but it really isn't about the crime. I would say that if I were putting this into a, into a, into a sentence, um, it would be save the boy, not solve the crime. And so the, while a crime, you know, this dramatic event starts the story off and gets things rolling, it isn't about the crime and it's definitely not a mystery. It, it, it could be ostensibly considered a thriller. Um, I mean, I'm perfectly happy with that, that, that classification. Um, um, it's been called literary suspense, which I kind of like. Uh, and I do hope it's suspenseful, but, uh, I think I was mainly I mainly wanted something that had some clarity for me and some clarity for the reader because then it gave me an opportunity to do something which for me was interesting which was to have two stories one that was moving directly forward in time which is basically the effort to try to save this boy and the other moving directly backwards in time which is to understand how Sheldon lost his own son which made going forward in time and going backwards in time uh, 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 a, a structural challenge for me as a writer, but I think adds a, a real richness to it as, as a story, um, particularly for an old man, partic and it gives me an opportunity to play with some of the main themes of age and aging and memory and, and time and uh, uh, you know, this, this issue of uh, his possible dementia. And whatnot. So, I think that was that was really it. It wasn't because of a fascination with crime novels per se. 
uh, it was because it suited the story that I wanted to tell and the way that I wanted to write at the time. One of uh, my favorite characters in the novel is the young detective Sigrid, who has a terrifically understated way of responding to the folly of her coworkers. I'd love it if you would uh, read from a conversation she has, a pretty funny conversation she has with the chief of police. And before you do, uh, maybe you can set it up a little bit. Sigrid is, uh, she's in her early 40s. Um, she describes herself as plain. She is, um, she's bright. She's contented in her career. Uh, she is, um, you know, unlike a lot of the other Scandinavian crime people. She's not an alcoholic. She wasn't abused by her. In fact, she has a wonderful relationship with her father. And uh, Sigrid is um, content with the kinds of work that she does, and I think she's quite good at it, but uh, there's there's no superlatives here. Uh, What Sigrid, I think, has, though, is uh, quite a dry sense of humor. Uh, I think she has a... uh, well, she has a number of qualities that I, I'm, I'm, I'm quite fond of. But it, at the moment, what's happening is that the uh, obviously these murders have ended up on her desk. She's in charge of leading the, uh, the, the these matters and uh, mainly finding Sheldon as well because he's this missing old man, even though he's not necessarily a suspect. And it's viewed as a political issue and so she gets a call from her uh, from her chief to which she has to respond so that actually comes in in the first couple of paragraphs so uh, maybe I'll just I'll dive in here <clears throat> Sigurd has received so many calls since the murder made the newspapers that she has donned a headset with a microphone in order to get some work done the calls she has decided have nothing to do with her job In Norway, the police operate under the authority of the district offices of both the prosecuting authority and the National Police Directorate, allowing people like Sigrid to get slapped on both sides of her face at the same time. This slap, for example, comes from the chief of police for her district. She takes it with her eyes closed, as one does a colonoscopy. How's it going? The police chief asks. Fine, thank you, says Sigrid. Need help? No. It happened yesterday. I think we're doing fine. Pretty political, all this. Yes, I suppose it is. You have a suspect, right? This Serbian? Kosovar. We suspect him, but we don't have any direct evidence of his involvement. So I can't charge him. Besides, I also can't find him. Muslim, right? Probably, but I don't think religion is relevant to the case. Nationality, maybe. I'm not sure yet. It's too soon to establish motive. Do you have any other suspects? Sigrid opens her eyes and looks around. Then she shuts them again. Something about being blind feels appropriate to the conversation. There's someone we're listing as a person of concern, she said. What is that? It's a new category I made up. Can you do that? I think so. Who is it? His name is Sheldon Horowitz. Albanian? Jewish. There is a pause on the other end of the phone. A very... Long pause. The chief whispers. Jewish? Jewish, Sigurd says, not whispering. An Israeli spy? Mossad? No, not Israeli. Jewish. He's American. He's an old Marine. He may be suffering from dementia or sadness or something. He's in his 80s. The Israelis are hiring old American Marines? This has nothing to do with Israel, and no. 
you said this has nothing to do with religion, but then you said his name is Jewish. Yes, his name is Jewish. But you said religion doesn't matter, but nationality does, so I said Israel. He's not Israeli, he's American, an American Marine, but Jewish and Jewish. That was a great reading. Thank you for it. And you touch on this. Uh, this is probably the the most in-depth discussion of the Norwegian view of Jews in the book. But it's interesting because, you know, for an American Jew, it's uh, if somebody says Jewish, they don't necessarily think Israeli. So it raises all these questions about what the Norwegian view of Jews is and how what is the Jewish experience in Norway. Uh, obviously, that's a huge subject matter, but you do broach it in the book, and I wonder if you can give us a, a sense of it. Well, I, I can, you know, there, there's a, there's some different perspectives here. I mean, one of them is Sheldon's perspective on the Jewish experience, which is very much generational and very much American. There's Sigrid's view of it as a Norwegian who, for whom this is, you know, really quite alien. I mean, there's about a thousand Jews in the entire country, and, you know, I helped make two of them. So, you know, <laughs> that would be my children. So um, the, the the main thing is is that there isn't, there isn't a Jewish history here in the way that we think of a Jewish history in, uh, in, in most of Europe. And so, you know, they're na- they're, the naivete, the Norwegian naivete of the Jewish experience is, is honestly come by, right? I mean, it's not a national failing. It's an obvious consequence of not having come into contact with, you know, with some, you know, particular group of people. So... But that's interesting because, you know, the American experience as we understand it, you know, at least in the last hundred years is sort of inconceivable, you know, outside of, you know, the the kind of Jewish influence anywhere, you know, from the arts and sciences and and, and politics and, you know, life, you know, stuff, you know, the guy who sells flowers down the block, you know, I mean, they're, they're, we're around. So they're not around here. So what that means then is that you're, I, I think, you know, the, 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 mainly the Norwegian experience with Jews is something that has to be learned from some kind of a distance rather than through contact. And so, you know, the, the scholar in me starts wondering what's the nature of the representation, you know, that, that they have. And, I, and it's clearly changed from the 70s till now. Um, you know, Norway was was uh, was uh, uh, very staunchly pro-Israel, and I realize that is not the same as uh, discussing Jewishness. But politically, uh, you know, as was much of Europe, and then you know that's that's a lot of that's changed. Uh, you know, in the last whatever the gosh forty years now. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is no anti-Semitism as we come to understand it, but there's certainly a confusion about the relationship between, you know, is Israeli politics, their own national identity as Norwegians and what they're trying to achieve and understand themselves to be in the world, you know, and these kinds of complexities. So um, it's certainly not an uncomfortable place. I mean, I'm hardly a refugee. I can live where I like and, so, and, and, I'm, and my, my kids are, uh, you know, are, are thriving here. But, um, you know, but there's a gap. There's an understanding gap. There's a history gap. Uh, you know, there, there, there's a sense of humor gap, um, you know, which is, you know, their fault. <laughs> but, uh, uh, so, you know, but it's it, but it makes for an interesting it makes for an interesting experience. 
Let me ask you, in the book, uh, Sheldon as a Jew is not the only one who stands out. You have this group of uh, Kosovars who are also on the margins and not wholly absorbed into society, recently scarred by ethnic cleansing, by war in the Balkan area. When I was reading the book, it it really uh, was pronounced to me the way their experience echoes what happened to the Jews in Europe, which is so... uh, so, such a prominent theme for Sheldon, this preoccupation with the Holocaust, with World War II. And I wondered, to what extent did you want that kind of historical parallel for these cycles of history and of war to bump into each other? Well, I, I would phrase it slightly differently, which is to say it was I was very conscious of and aware of and deliberately working with the notion of people being displaced, displaced in time, displaced in location, uh, being immigrants and being outsiders. But um, I wouldn't say I was drawing parallels between the Holocaust and the Balkans, but I would say that I was looking at war and I was looking at the consequences of war and the kinds of lingering consequences that wars have for individuals and what we take with us when we leave a place and go to another place. So it's more than just fish out of water stories. It's sort of the, the relationship. I mean, the fish out of water means the fish is out of the water. Now, but the thing is, is that where is the fish now? And what is the relationship between the fish and wherever he is now? And um, it's not just what's been left behind. It's what's been encountered. It's been encountered anew. And for the for the um, the the people from the Balkans, I'll say the people from the Balkans because some are Kosovars and some are Serbians and you know and whatnot. But the the people from the from the Balkans are a range of people who have engaged Norway in very very different levels. Uh, there's a girl who self identifies as Norwegian, despite having been born in Serbia because she was adopted when she was eight years old and lives here. It's it, Norwegian, is her, as she says, her best language. She's in law school. She is in every, in every discernible way Norwegian. Uh, all the way to uh, characters for whom Norway is nothing more than yet another backdrop from their nefarious activities. They could be anywhere because we're, because mainly they take their lives with them and it doesn't really matter where they are. And so the relationship of these people to the place they're in is actually, I think, what makes this issue of thinking about immigration and the immigrant experience a more three-dimensional uh, 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 Topic in a way because it 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 again it's not just to to to, to beat this metaphor to death it's not uh, it's not just a fish out of water story I'm trying to understand the relationship of people to displacement and to to identity because identity is a, is a huge uh, topic in the book which by the way isn't as deep as we're making and it's not as heavy anyway as we're making it sound some of it's funny. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, definitely. You know, <laughs> you know, there, there are moments of, of, you know, of lightness. Yes, and it's quite sweet in, at moments, too. It made me cry. It was very, I thought it was great. Thank you. Derek Miller is the author of Norwegian by Night. It's out now from Houghton Mifflin Harcourt. Get yourself a copy. It's great. And now, listeners, a request. Please, if you are a fan of Vox Tablet, do us this kindness. Go to iTunes and post a review of Vox Tablet. It would mean a lot to us. And make sure to share this podcast with your family and friends. Vox Tablet is produced by Julie Subrin. I'm Sarah Ivory, your host. Thank you so much for joining us. And please make sure to join us again next time.